Hey there, I'm Jamin Baxter, and I serve Moody Radio as the Director of Business Development. Our team's job is to find businesses that love Moody Radio and Jesus Christ and want to support the work we do financially just like you. Today, I'd like to introduce you to United Faith Mortgage. Simply put, they are a faith-focused mortgage team serving clients across the United States. They've put together a team with Christian values with faith and family at the core. They know that this is arguably the most important purchase of your life. Check out the top five things you should know about United Faith Mortgage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. Thanks to you and United Faith Mortgage for supporting Moody Radio. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Today's version of Money Wise Live is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. These days, people focus on two things when buying goods and services. How fast can I get it, and how much does it cost? Hi, I'm Rob West. What folks don't often consider is that the first one has a big impact on the second. Put more simply is how much they'll have to pay for convenience, because it certainly isn't free. We'll talk about that today. Then we have some great calls lined up, but please don't call in today because we're pre-recorded. This is MoneyWise Live, where God's Word is the last word on our finances. Okay, so the word convenience has even worked its way into our lexicon for buying stuff. Uh, Think convenience foods and convenience stores. Now, convenience foods are easy to fix. Usually, you just have to heat them up or get them from a fast food restaurant. Uh, Convenience stores sell all kinds of things that we usually want in a hurry without having to go into a bigger grocery store. Everything from soft drinks to diapers. But all of these have one thing in common. Uh, They cost a bit more for the convenience and often at the expense of taste and nutrition as well. Now, obviously, we want to be good stewards of the resources God entrusts to us. But if you have the money in your budget for a convenience purchase, is it wrong to buy it? Well, not necessarily. We have to budget our time as well as our money. There are only 24 hours in a day, and sometimes getting fast food for the family makes sense as long as it fits within your spending plan. But here are some ways that you can get caught paying for convenience you can't afford. Uh, Now, you may be in a hurry while you're out doing errands, so you grab a burger on the way. You know it's not in the budget, you can't afford the convenience of eating out, but you do it anyway. Maybe you don't have time to cook at home, so you opt for pizza delivery. Again, not in the budget. Or instead of waiting for an item to go on sale at a local store, you simply go online and buy it. Now you're paying for shipping, too, and if you really need it in a hurry, you're paying extra for expedited shipping. You ignore the fact that convenience costs money and your budget is blown again. By the way, don't get caught up in the myth that Amazon Prime shipping is free. You pay an annual fee for that service, and the true cost is probably still factored into the price. If it were really free, they wouldn't do it. The only way to make your Amazon Prime membership pay for itself is to be a frequent shopper and only buy things that you know are cheaper there than somewhere else. There's no question that Amazon and other online vendors are in fact a great convenience, but not at the expense of your budget. 
Now, where are some other ways we might sacrifice stewardship for convenience? Well, maybe the worst example of all is the dreaded payday loan. These are the crack cocaine of financial services. Payday loan outlets offer you some or all of the money in your next paycheck, but at extremely high interest rates. In many cases, the interest rate is so high that after you pay off the loan, you don't have enough money left to get to the next payday, and so you have to take out another loan and, of course, the vicious cycle continues, it becomes impossible to break the habit. So never take out a payday loan. All right, here's another example. An unlimited data plan on your cell phone may be a convenience and salespeople will always try to sell you one. But do you really need it? Maybe not. If you're mainly on Wi-Fi at home and don't use that much phone company data. On the other hand, if your job keeps you on the road a lot, it may make sense to pay more for unlimited data. Here's another one that's becoming more common. Valet parking is a convenience offered at high-end restaurants and hotels and even some malls. Now, let me ask you, does it make sense to pay for a gym membership and valet parking? Paying to walk on a treadmill and not to walk from the far end of the parking lot? Of course not. But some people do it without thinking. We should always be thinking, what else could God's money be used for? So, Here's the bottom line. The less discretionary money you have, the fewer conveniences you can actually afford. You see, God wants us to enjoy his abundance. There's nothing wrong with that, within reason. Even if you have the money to pay for a convenience, it doesn't mean you always should, especially if it results in you saving or giving less. Keep in mind, we want to be clear about the goals that God has given us. And the way we accomplish our God-given goals in the long term is to make sacrifices in the short term. Your spending plan is going to be the driver, the key to you being able to have the margin to accomplish everything God wants you to accomplish, including increasing your giving over time. You're listening to a best of broadcast of MoneyWise Live. This program is pre recorded, so we're not available to take your calls today. But you can email us at questions at moneywise.org. Rob West will be back with more MoneyWise Live in just a moment. You're listening to an encore presentation of MoneyWise Live. Today's program is pre-recorded, so keep that in mind, and we hope you'll stick around and enjoy the rest of today's program. Welcome back to MoneyWise Live. I'm Rob West. So glad you're along with us today. We started out today talking about convenience, the cost of convenience, and how we control expenses as we manage God's money. Because recognize that's the starting point, that God owns it all and we're a steward. So when it comes to managing God's money, we should take great care being found faithful in how we manage God's money. And that means we should have a careful watch over what's coming in and going out. How do we do that? Well, you know, it starts with that spending plan, having that budget. And here's the thing. When we have the long view in mind, remember, we can make better decisions today the longer term our perspective. So when we know where we're headed and when where we're headed is informed by not just goals, but our values, what's most important to us? What is God doing in our lives and in our families? And how can money as a tool be used to accomplish those purposes? When we have clarity around 
around that. It makes sacrificing in the short run much, much easier. We can say no to things knowing that it's a a no to a bigger yes, a bigger yes keeping us right in line with what God has for us and using money as a tool to accomplish that. That's, I think, the big idea when we think about why we would want to have a spending plan. Why is that important? You know, to help you manage your money on a daily basis, we've developed an app that can help you set up your spending plan, use that in a digital envelope system, download your transactions, categorize them. And as husband and wife, if you're married, stay on top of that uh, throughout the month. It's simple to download. You can go to our website, moneywise.org, or just head over to your app store and search for MoneyWise Biblical Finance. You can download our uh, our app today, and in there, uh, you can get your spending plan set up. I think that once you track and get your spending plan in place and then develop a system to control the flow of money, you'll have a lot more peace of mind as you steward God's resources. And uh, please let us know how it goes along the way. In just a moment, we're going to talk to Jeff in Canton, Ohio. But first, Timothy's in Nashville, Tennessee. And Timothy, what's on your mind today? Uh, thank you for the call. Um, Looking to get life insurance, I'm a recently married husband, just got married in January. My wife and I do not have any debt whatsoever. Um, We are currently living with her parents and are in part caregivers for them. So we don't have any rent or mortgage right now, but we don't have a home. And I'm in an entry-level uh, position and currently taking school. I have about two more years of school um, before I graduate. Just looking to determine how much life insurance I need as well as what term I should be looking for. Yeah. Very good, Timothy. Well, um, you know, I'm glad that you're thinking about this now. So often folks, especially who are young, newly married, you know, kind of this is often one of those things that uh, gets overlooked along with uh, having a will in place, which once you start having kids, uh, it's it's always important to have a will. It's critical when you have kids because that's where you're going to name a guardian should the Lord take both of you uh, home uh, at the same time. So I think it's really important that we begin thinking about um, your uh, life insurance coverage. And the good thing is that if you use term in insurance, which is where you're just buying pure insurance and you're paying uh, as little cost as possible just for the mortality expense, not the, you know, adding that to a savings plan, um, then I think you can, you know, get it very inexpensively and make sure you have the proper coverage, which your need for that will change over time. But at a minimum, uh, you know, you want to start with 10 to 12 times your income. Uh, it's just a good rule of thumb. And keep in mind, what we're trying to do here is replace a hardship that would create be created for your wife if the Lord were to take you. And uh, so she's got to be able to replace your income to maintain lifestyle. And I realize you all are just starting out, but this is a good starting point. Uh, Once you have kids, you'll want to bump that up. In most cases, folks recommend in addition to that 10 to 12 times your income, you'll want to add roughly $100,000 per child for college expenses. And then, you know, oftentimes you'll add to that uh, any other debts that you have, including your mortgage, to be able to pay that off. Because here's the idea. If we had 10 to 12 times your income in a lump sum and then enough to pay off the house, 
enough to cover, you know, major planned expenses, namely college and anything else, and pay off the debt, any other consumer debt, so that you're completely debt-free, then your wife, in this case, would be able to convert that lump sum to an income stream that's pretty modest, again, with all of those things already taken care of, to maintain her lifestyle while she's still saving uh, until retirement age, at which point the insurance would no longer be needed. And then, you know, on your life, meaning a death benefit payable to her as the beneficiary on, uh, excuse me, uh, something on her life payable to you, if she's working, would follow kind of the same rules of thumb, primarily to replace income because the other things would be covered, uh, you know, perhaps in in your policy. And then, uh, you know, for her, if she's a non-working spouse, you would typically look at, okay, what would be additional expenses that you would take on uh, if the Lord were to call her home? And that usually comes about when uh, you start to have kids, because now you would need to have full-time daycare if you're going to continue to work. And, you know, that's not in the budget uh, probably at that point. So, um, you know, those are kind of the starting points in terms of the length of that term policy. I'd look at either a 20 or a 30-year level term. Keep in mind, you'll typically replace it. Uh, you know, prior to that term expiring with a new 20 or 30 year policy, assuming you're healthy, uh, you would be able to kind of re up on that and extend the length of that term. Does all that make sense, though, Timothy? It does make perfect sense. Um, Currently, entry level, I'm looking at about 30,000 annually. Uh, once I graduate, I could potentially be somewhere between fifty and seventy thousand dollars, though. And I am looking at forty in the next couple of years. And then my wife has a college-age daughter of her own, so I'm just trying to get a big picture. If I should be looking at uh, four hundred to five hundred thousand, or if I should be looking at more, or yeah. Yeah. Well, I would probably maybe split the difference. Keep in mind, you can layer these policies on top of each other. And so, you know, you could go ahead and get a half a million dollars worth of coverage now and then come back and add another quarter of a million on top of it. You'd have to disclose it because uh, the insurance company is going to want to know there's multiple policies in force, but doesn't mean you have to stick with it or you could replace it. You know, keep in mind, once you get qualified for a new policy of a larger amount to replace the whole thing, starting that timeline over again, again, and you, you know, you've been approved for it and the policy's in force and your signature's on it, then you could let that other policy lapse and uh, just carry on with the new one. So you don't have to decide on something that's going to last for the next 20 or 30 years. Again, uh, you know, it can grow with you and with your lifestyle and needs. So I think probably a half a million dollar policy, which is going to be very inexpensive, very manageable at your age, would get you started. And then you'll want to reevaluate over time. Uh, We appreciate your call today, Timothy. And uh, thanks for checking in with us. Let's head quickly to Canton, Ohio. Jeff, you're next on the program. How can we help you, sir? Hi, Rob. Uh, first, I want to thank you so much for your daily program. That's really interesting, and uh, we're impressed with all the range of uh, questions uh, that you can answer. It's amazing sometimes. Uh, this, the question I had was related to uh, our daughter. Uh, we actually had two questions. The one was the first uh, we've been taking money out of our uh, IRA and giving it to our daughter as gifting it to her as uh, to put in a 
lot. Well, this year she put in the money early because she want, she thought there would be more opportunity early in the year. And she's a teacher, and she has a 401C, I think it is. And But she's also just after, uh, and she's expecting a child. So I was wondering if you had any ideas on how, what, how we should go about uh, gifting it to her this year. Uh, yeah, so she has earned income, but you're giving that to her as a gift because she's living on her income, and therefore this is what she's using to fund that Roth IRA. Is that right? Yes, and this year she had some savings, and she just put it in on her own. And so uh, we don't have that option. We're taking it out of a 401k. And um, she does have a, a, uh, a, as I mentioned, through the teachers or through the um, state of Hawaii, she has an opportunity to put it in as a 401c. Um, But I'm not quite sure if that's the right thing to do at this moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, probably. Um, well, first of all, for the Roth IRA, uh, you know, I think what you're doing here is you're paying the tax on it for her. Then you're doing the gift, which you can do 15,000 a year. You and your wife could each do 15,000 as the annual gift exclusion. And then she's just taking that money up to the cap, which happens to be, uh, you know, $6,000 uh, prior to the age of 50 and uh, putting that into her Roth IRA, which is going to grow for her. Uh, She probably has, in addition to that, uh, a 401A um, plan, which is basically an employer-sponsored money purchase retirement plan uh, that allows you to put in um, contributions into the plan. Um, and both the employer and the employee can contribute. That's usually government and nonprofit organizations. And the employer has a larger share of control over how the plan is invested. Um, And then she can withdraw it uh, through a rollover to a different qualified plan. So I would just encourage her as you all give that money, and that's very generous uh, of you, if there's no matching, to start with that Roth and fully fund it and then switch over to the 401A through salary deferral. And uh, the goal there is to get to 10 to to 15% of her income. We'll be right back. You're listening to a best of broadcast of Money Wise Live. This program is pre-recorded, so we're not available to take your calls today. But you can email us at questions at moneywise.org. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Money Wise Live. So glad to have you along with us today. Just before the break, we were talking with Jeff in Canton, Ohio. Uh, He and his wife are pulling money out of a 401k systematically and gifting it uh, to their daughter. She's turning around and putting it into a Roth IRA. And in addition to that, Jeff, I'm uh, speculating that she has a 401a plan if you said it's not a 401k um, but in either case, it's a basically a defined contribution retirement savings plan where she has the ability to put money in. I think the goal is over time, um, and this will certainly be aided by the fact you all are assisting, uh, is to get um, uh, 10 to 15% of her pay into the plan over the long haul. And if she does that year after year with the compounding effect, um, you know, she'll be doing quite well. And obviously you all are, are giving her a great uh, boost to get there uh, as you uh, do this annual gifting. I just want to make sure that you all have the ability to do that. And you've kind of 
thought through your long-term plan in terms of what you're going to need to be able to maintain your lifestyle in retirement. She's got a lot of time ahead. You all don't have as much in terms of the ability to continue to save. So just make sure that uh, you've really worked through that. Uh, You mentioned you have a second question. I understand it relates to real estate. Is that right? Yes, it's um, related to bubbles. And uh, for us, the real estate market in San Francisco is just uh, out of hand. It's uh, they have a lot of people with IPO money, and they just crazily have bidding each other. Um, it's unreal. It's about eight eight times our house with the same square footage, eight to ten plus a lot less land. Uh, and we're helping our daughter and, and uh, advising her, and she's showing us the listings and everything that she goes, you know, tries to purchase. You know, they they bid outrageously. Over it, um, you know, 25% easily over uh, the list price. So I was wondering if you had any advice. Yeah, you know, it's a really challenging market nationwide, but especially in certain pockets of the country, and California and Florida would certainly be among those. Florida, I think, is has a longer-term upside potential from this point even, just because of the number of people moving into the state of Florida trying to escape the higher taxes. California has all the location and the sun and the great weather, but the taxes are sky high, and so you've still got a lot of people leaving the area, which means you know, if she's just trying to enter the housing market now, it's not that she's selling something that she's going to benefit from on the sale, selling it sky high to turn around and then buy something. Uh, this is probably a good time, especially with somebody who's just starting out that, you know, she'd be thinking about being a renter. Um, you know, while we give this some time for the housing market uh, likely to cool off, it's clearly overvalued, 40% higher than where it was in 20. Uh, 16, excuse me, um, uh, 2006, just prior to the 2008 uh, collapse. And, um, you know, we're also seeing nationally today, based on the, you know, demand and, and the real value, it's probably nationally about five and a half percent overvalued. But it would be more than that in places like what you're describing. So I think, you know, the key whenever you're buying is save, save, save. So you want to buy with at least 20% down. I realize that's difficult to do, especially when people are praying over market values. Uh, make sure you don't overpay. Uh, so, you know, don't get into those bidding wars and react emotionally. Uh, make sure that you're not spending more than 25% of your pay for principal interest taxes and insurance. And if you can't check those boxes, plus with an understanding you're going to try to stay in this home for at least uh, five to 10 years, then I think it's time just to wait and let's let this housing market cool off, perhaps even dip, and uh, let her continue to save and relook at this you know, a year or two down the road. So I think that's going to be my best advice for you. We appreciate you listening and calling today. Hey, we're going to pause for a brief break. We'll be back with much more. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money Wise Live. I'm Rob West. This is where your financial life intersects with the 2,350 verses found in God's Word dealing with money and possessions. 
Do you want to know God's heart related to your money? Let's explore that together uh, based on what's going on in your financial life. We'll go back to the phones in just a moment. This is a great opportunity, though, for me to remind you that MoneyWise is listener-supported entirely. It's your support that allows us to share God's financial wisdom every day through our uh, MoneyWise coaches, through our certified kingdom advisors, uh, through our website and the MoneyWise app. Of course, this radio broadcast and everything we do to come alongside you and provide this community of stewards really wanting to journey together and understand biblical financial principles. Would you consider a gift? We'd certainly appreciate it, whether you make a gift one time or you become a monthly partner or even a pro subscriber to the MoneyWise app. All of that helps us do what we do on a daily basis, and we'd sure appreciate your assistance. Here's how you can give online. Just head over to our website, moneywiselive.org, click the Donate button, whether you want to give cash or perhaps an appreciated stock like we had a listener give just yesterday, uh, or however you would like to give, we would be grateful. Again, moneywiselive.org, just click donate. Let's head back to the phones, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Gary, I understand you had a CD mature recently. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Following your advice for diversity, this is kind of the, the secure end of our savings. And as you know, the interest rates are terrible. And I was wondering if you could recommend another option with similar security, maybe FDIC, uh, to uh, put that money from that CD. Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for you, Gary. Unfortunately, I don't. Uh, I wouldn't uh, lock it up into another CD. Rates are just too low. You're not going to get rewarded enough for the illiquidity of the CD in today's environment. You know, you can get a half a percent, uh, you know, with a liquid FDIC insured high yield savings account from an online bank, and you might get, you know, 0.65 or 0.70, another 15 to 20 basis points, and you're going to tie up the money for a full year. So I'd just put it back into a high yield savings account and wait, recognizing that the goal for at least that portion of your uh, you know, net worth is to be stable and secure. You don't want to take risk with it, I'm understanding. Um, and unfortunately, in this environment, uh, there are some benefits to having low interest rates, but one of the downsides is exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, any other option um, you know, would require a bit of risk, uh, dividend-paying stocks. You've got the risk of the underlying security moving up and down, even though there's the income from the dividends. Uh, certainly, uh, peer-to-peer lending is getting more popular, but uh, you know, there obviously is risk there. Even bond mutual funds, even short-term bond funds, that's certainly an alternative to CDs, but as rates head higher, the bond prices are going to fall. Uh, you're going to get a good yield, but you're going to see some decline in the value of the underlying investments of those funds or ETFs. Um, you know, the the only kind of uh, foolproof way, if you will, to uh, to get a great return on your money that's guaranteed is paying down high cost debt, um, because obviously that's going to be guaranteed returns equivalent to the interest rate that's going away as you pay that off. But otherwise, Gary, I think in this environment, we're just going to have to you know be happy with the uh, high yield savings account. You could go to bankrate.com and compare, but you know that point five point fifty five is a about the best you're going to do. Does that make sense, though? What about treasuries? Uh, yeah, you know, you're still not going to do a whole lot better there. I mean, you can you can look at treasuries. 
um, in uh, you know buying direct or uh, through you know funds. Uh, you know, basket of treasuries through ETFs or mutual funds. You may do a little better there, but again, you know, you're going to have uh, the price of the treasury moving around with interest rates, and the the uh, direction as rates head up is that the uh, the treasuries will fall in value. So, uh, you know, I think you've got to just have these baskets of money, and for that, that's you know, your liquid reserves of of six months or more, depending on what season of life you're in. I'd probably just stick with the high yield savings and wait out this interest rate, uh, these interest rates moving higher. Once they normalize, probably in the next year, I think there'll be some other options there. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot uh, you can do right now. But we appreciate your call today, sir. Uh, By the way, check out soundmindinvesting.org. They've got some great uh, uh, articles uh, that they've done recently on some investment options, specifically as inflation begins to tip uh, tick up, uh, not only tips, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, but a few other ideas. And that may be an option for some of this as uh, we see uh, inflation begin to creep up. Uh, you can be rewarded with some of these uh, investments that are pegged to rising inflation. Soundmindinvesting.org, just do a search on their website. You'll see some great articles. We appreciate your call today. Let's head to uh, Wisconsin. Catherine, what's on your mind? Hey, so we have, well, I have some. Catherine, did we lose you? Okay, I think we had uh, just uh, maybe lost her. Oh, are you back? There we go. I'm sorry. Apparently I hit the mute button on accident. (laughs) No problem. No problem. How can we assist you? (laughs) Okay, so I have some uh, student loans. Uh, Part of it is government and part of it is private. And... Uh, my husband and I have been pouring pretty much everything we have except for uh, a three-month saving emergency fund. We've been pouring just about everything we can into the private loans. Now, the government loans are currently on hold because of the pandemic. And so we are um, we're figuring that once we get the, student, or the private loans paid off, which we're only a couple thousand away from doing, uh, we're figuring if as long as the, the government loans are still on hold, uh, there's no point in putting any money toward them yet just to we can keep building our savings, especially with the with the rumors floating around about the possibility of the government forgiving some of that, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. But we're yes. figuring it would be better to put that money into savings rather than to put it toward the loans. Uh, but I just wanted to just check and make sure if you thought that was the best idea or if you had any other ideas. Yes. Well, I would agree with you. I mean, given the deferments that are in place here and uh, what's going on with COVID, uh, absolutely, the place to be looking is uh, it toward the private loans first. That's going to be where I would um, you know, be focused on what you want to pay down, not to mention, you know, in addition to the the fact that they're in deferment, they're going to give you the most flexibility even once you start repaying with income-based repayment options and the like. Um, obviously, if, if loans are forgiven across the board, there's going to be caps on what is going to be able to be forgiven 
likely. And so, again, I think if you focus on paying on those private loans first. Now, if you feel like you haven't uh, shored up your emergency fund fully, then I'd probably go there uh, next just to make sure that, you know, even before uh, putting extra money toward the student loans, make sure you've got that three to six months expenses. But after that, I would continue paying toward those private loans. I realize there's uncertainty about the legislation, but you can never go wrong uh, reducing debt uh, to the best of your ability. And I think you're doing it in the right order. So uh, I'd say keep it up. I'm glad to hear your lifestyle is in check because you have plenty of margin, which means you're able to shore up your financial foundation. That is a great thing, Catherine. We appreciate you checking in with us. Thanks for listening and calling today. Folks, thanks for being along with us. This is Money Wise Live. I'm Rob West. We're going to pause for a brief break. When we come back, more of your questions. Lines open, 800-525-7000. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money Wise Live, where God's Word intersects with your financial life. Just ahead, we're going to talk about getting a large settlement for workers' comp, what to do with the money, and also an inherited IRA that's been invested for 10 years. Uh, Terry wants to know where to go with that. But Rose is in Antioch, Illinois. Rose, how can we assist you today? Hi. I have a question for you. My husband needs some quite expensive dental work uh, between thirty-five dollars and $55,000. Um, and I'm 55 or 59 and a half, and I was thinking about taking it out of my 401k, but needed to understand a little bit more about what the rules are there, if that's a smart thing to do, if you have other suggestions on how to finance this. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, um, there's, uh, you know, pulling money out of your 401k is an option. It's not the best option um, because it's taxable money. And obviously, we'd prefer to let that money continue to grow. So it's there for you down the road. And you're going to obviously have to take whatever you pull out and set a portion aside to cover the tax on it. Um, But I'd rather you do that than, you know, taking on uh, some debt. Uh, So as long as he's 59 and a half, if he's the if it's his IRA, there'll be no penalty in pulling the money out. You'll just pay income tax on the amount you withdraw in the year that you take it out. So it'll be added to whatever income you have during that calendar year. And then obviously you'd take care of it out of that. Um, you know, other options would be you could borrow against a 401k, assuming he hasn't separated from the company. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I think the, you know, other options would be, you know, to uh, look at uh, pulling from an emergency fund, as long as you have margin and you can replenish that, uh, looking at other assets that could be liquidated. And then I think, you know, the, the last option would be, uh, you know, how could you finance it in such in some way? Um, you know, perhaps working with the provider on a payment plan of some kind, um, you know, to see if they can stretch it out over time. So, you know, those are going to be, you know, the best options. If you were to pull this out, uh, Rose, of the 401k, how are you all doing in terms of what you've been able to set aside to be able to cover your expenses in retirement? Um, we have about 150 in 401k and um, about 100 grand in pension. Now we plan on working. God help us another 10 years. Okay, all right. And how much do you think you'll need to take out? Um, depending on, I said the dental expenses between 35 and 55, and we're still praying and 
and taking a look at, at options there. But we could probably we have about eight months of expenses saved in our in our savings account. So we'll probably okay. pull about ten grand out of there and then finance the rest. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's, I mean, obviously it sounds like this is major dental work that has to be done. And so, you know, that's what the emergency fund is there for. We don't want to deplete it entirely. But I wouldn't hesitate to, you know, especially if you're a cash payer, to go in there and try to negotiate with them around the cost of this thing. Let them know that you are paying cash. It's not coming from insurance, that you, you know, you can show them your finances and let them know that, uh, you know, this is a, a bit of a hardship, although you plan to, you know, pay it in full. And if they can work with you both in the total cost and the timing of how it's paid and when, um, that would be a real blessing to you. Uh, but apart from that, it sounds like you're on the right track here in terms of how you go about it. I just think, you know, what's key is you try to keep debt as low as possible in this season and really keep lifestyle in check, which means you've got to control the flow of money going in and out. Your spending plan is going to be the real key driver there. But um, I think you certainly you're getting creative. You're asking the right questions, and I think you're on the right track. So all the best in that uh, dental work that he has to have done, Rose. We appreciate your call today. Let's head to Ohio. Terry, how can we assist you? Well, I um, received a um, IRA with my divorce, and um, it's been sitting there for 10 years, and it only it goes from um, 20, it's for 20,000, it was for 30, and I used the other part to buy a new car. So it was like, 20, it's 20, and it only goes from 20,000 to 21, or to 22, it just keeps, you know, it's, it hasn't earned any anything for 10 years. So I don't know, what should I do, invest somewhere? I don't know, I'm, I guess yeah. I'm afraid to take the chance. Sure. Uh, what is that invested in? Do you have a sense of that? I don't really, I don't. It was okay. way back and it was, I was all emotionally upset. So I just wait to see, well, banks, it's okay. invested in banks. I know that. Okay. Well, with the sum of money you're talking about, Terry, you're going to be better served to get broader diversification through either exchange-traded funds or mutual funds, where you can own a basket of investments that's not tied to a, a small group of individual stocks, companies, whether they're banks or some other industry, uh, because you're really relying on one sector to do well, as opposed to getting a broad cross-section of the market, um, you know, which has done quite well over the last decade. So I think you need to reevaluate this. Given the sum of money, it's, it's not enough for a financial advisor to come in and manage it for you. So I think you should be looking at one of the fund families like Vanguard. You could use their robo-advisor solution where you'd go through a question and answer process and they'd build a, a very low-cost, diversified portfolio for you. You could use the Schwab Intelligent portfolios. You could also check with our friends at soundmindinvesting.org. And um, you know, these are believers that could give you an investment strategy there as well. So uh, I think it's time to perhaps re-deploy uh, these funds. But I'd be careful in terms of you know understanding what's the purpose of this money, how quickly might you need it, and make sure that your investment strategy reflects that. Because if this is money you think you might need within 10 years, you don't want to put all this in a stock investment strategy, even if it's diversified through mutual funds, because if we got into a recession a couple of years down the road, you know, it wouldn't be uh, out of the question for this to be down 35%. And so if all of a sudden, you know, you got a statement in the mail and your 20,000, you know, was 
you know, 13,000, you'd probably be pretty frustrated and upset about that. Now, keep in mind, if you've got a long time horizon, you would go into it knowing, well, even if that happened, I'm going to wait for it to come back. Um, and it's going to move to higher ground like it always does. But you may not be in a position to be able to take that level of risk. And so if that's the case, you're going to have to have a more conservative posture, which, you know, with lower risk means lower return. So I think that's where, you know, working through one of these uh, robo-advisors, again, like Schwab Intelligent Portfolios or Vanguard or Fidelity, um, they'll uncover that through the questions and answers and then come back to you with a really well-diversified, low-cost portfolio. So uh, I would check those out. And if you have any other questions along the way, don't hesitate to give us a call. We appreciate you checking with us. Let's head to Chesterton, Indiana. Danny, uh, what's on your mind today? Well, I've been... Uh... For a lot of years, I've been on a uh, basically a structured settlement, except for its uh, permanent disability. And they've it's been almost 20 years, 21 years now, and they've they have changed how they want to deal with me, and they're trying to to not necessarily entice me, but they're wanting me to put it into a place to where I'll take an annuity. Uh, for it for in place of my my regular payments that I get, I mean I get, I'm supposed to get them regardless. Uh, but if I died tomorrow, they would all stop. And the money that they're 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 also offering me the option of taking the money instead of buying the annuity, and that money's north of nine hundred thousand. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get some decent advice on how to even look at this because I'm I never even considered it until I'm you know 55 years old now. And I have a 14-year-old daughter, and, and you know, I don't want to leave them with nothing if something happens to me. Yes. So are you looking, Danny, specifically for just how you want to take it or whether you should take it in the first place? Whether I should take it in the first place. Because, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a complete—it would basically cut my income in half, but it would, if I got the lump sum, it would give me— a rather large amount of money, and I'm not very good at investing or anything like that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's not well, it's not my bag. I'm not money's not my thing. So yeah, no, I understand. Well, listen, uh, we all have giftings, and that's why the Bible encourages us to seek wise counsel, which is part of the reason you're calling today. But I'm going to ask you to perhaps add to that circle of counsel uh, because this is really a critical decision. I mean, this is a significant a sum of money and there needs to be some analysis done on what's best for you in terms of what's the uh, the lump sum, which you said your understanding is around 900000 versus uh, you know, what's the present value of a future income stream based on the annuity payout they're going to give you? And how does that compare to the lump sum they're offering? Uh, a financial professional could help you calculate that. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, what is the uh, what happens beyond your life to that annuity? Is there some survivor's benefits where that continues or does it stop? That's going to be a key part of the, the factor here. And then beyond that, if you decide to take the lump sum, who's going to manage it? And what's the investment strategy? And what needs do you have as you head in to this season of life based on whether or not you have the ability to work or this is going to be your primary you know, source of income? And um, what could that look like to preserve these funds for the rest of your life, which is going to be critical for you to be able to do that. So uh, I'm going to recommend that you connect with a certified kingdom advisor there in Indiana. I'd probably uh, sit with at least two or three 
find one that's a real good fit for you, you know, that you feel uh, comfortable with, that has the track record lo- you're looking for, where, you know, you all can begin to work together. And he or she will work with you again on some planning first to help you make the decision as to how you should take that. And then uh, perhaps that person or certainly another professional could then come alongside you to do the management uh, of the money once you receive it, assuming you decide to take the lump sum. So head to our website, moneywiselive.org. Just click find a CKA. And again, I'd interview two or three, pick the one that's the best fit. And we'll be praying a lot. God gives you and the advisor some real wisdom in making this decision. We appreciate your call today. Hey, I want to say thank you to my team today. Producing is Amy Rios, engineering Dan Anderson, Rich Rossell, <laughs> providing research, and Eric Tidwell is our call screener today. Uh, MoneyWise Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and MoneyWise Media. I hope you come back and join us tomorrow as we continue to dive into God's Word and apply His truth to your finances. We'll see you then. May God bless you.